Good morning, everyone. I'm Utkarsh, the founder of Network Capital. And today it's my pleasure to have Jean-Philippe Courtois, who doesn't need an introduction, but he's uh, the executive vice president of Microsoft and the president of global sales and marketing, in addition to being the founder of Live for Good. He's been a mentor to me and many other millennials at Microsoft and beyond. And today we are here to do a deep dive on his career. Jean-Philippe, welcome to Network Capital. Delighted to see you here today. Podcast, well, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation together. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, I just want to tell you before we get started, I penned down a piece what I learned from Jean-Philippe Courtois on uh, Network Capital as a blog, and it has got about 90,000 hits in a day. I put it on yesterday. So clearly there's a lot of appetite. People want to learn from you. So Jean-Philippe, let's dive straight in. Tell us uh, how your leadership style has uh, evolved within Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, uh, my leadership style has, has changed quite a bit, Utkarsh. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I started, Microsoft was essentially back many years ago in 84, a startup. So we're just about a few hundred people. <laughs> and I got to learn by doing stuff, doing mistakes as well, uh, you know, and, and leading actually new business for Microsoft, expanding Southern Europe and, and so on and so forth. As I grew up through the management ranks and, and the opportunity to, to lead the development of our international markets for many years and open many subsidiaries across the world where we run our operations, I would tell you, uh, I, you know, I was super anxious to really uh, master how can I really manage such a high-scale business effectively. You think about it, you've got all time zones of the world, from India to Mexico and everything in between. <laughs> and, uh, and clearly, what I, what I got to do, what I got to learn, was to put in place some really what I would call management systems. So systems really uh, relying a lot on command and control, dashboards, a lot of top-down commands in a way, because I wanted to operate effectively across 14 regional areas. And I did that for many years, and I thought that was actually uh, quite okay to continue to do that. Mm. But I realized uh, a few years back, particularly as our company was going through a massive transformation, you know, six years back, five years back, I need to change and reinvent in a way, the, the way I could really lead and inspire the teams to achieve more for our customers. And in many ways, I think the, the way I reflect on that is, is very aligned with the, the, the purpose of the company. It's not always the purpose. And you always need to connect, I think, your own personal purpose with the purpose of the company or, or the organization you are working with or to your leading, in your case, if you create your own startup or own company. And in, here in my case, I could certainly connect myself to that statement we have as a company, Microsoft, empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. But doing that in my day-to-day -day management leadership means changing the way I was doing things. And so what I did was literally to start taking on some symbolic uh, moves. So I basically suppressed the, you know, the, the largest meeting ever we had at the company uh, for running the business. We had a seven weeks process for wow. a couple of decades called the media review at Microsoft, where we used to lock ourselves in rooms for seven years, seven, seven weeks, sorry, in a row <laughs> to go, yes, not that, that, to really go into tons of data, tons of details, tons of spreadsheets, really exhaust our people with a lot of insights, but a lot of pain in the process, a lot of time not used. 
I decided to shift and suppress that altogether. I decided to put in place some connects where I'm trying to really move uh, to more of a coach-like leader, which means really a few things. Number one is being curious all the time. <laughs> and as you know, you can be curious with your people, with your loved ones, with anyone you connect with, you meet with externally as well in your community world and in society you are belonging to. And I decided to stop talking and having a much better place for listening. Number two, uh, be often in that coaching posture, meaning you don't need to wait for one-on-one, -on -one, you know, that is really cadence every couple of weeks or week. You can do a real-time coaching, which is very beneficial, which could be a few minutes. When you see things happening and you believe that by asking questions as opposed to finding a solution can help uh, the talents, the people you have working with you and the teams. So the coaching habit is something I've been working a lot on more uh, Utkarsh last couple of years to basically let the people come up with their problem statements. Because as you know well, the first time they come up with a problem is probably the not, not the right formulation. You've right. got to ask them again, not just what is on your mind, but what else? Truly, Utkarsh, what else is on your mind? And what is it that you really want to make a, you know, having a big impact on? And, and what is so critical in your own personal uh, you know, view that you need to address. And that's a very different discussion. That's a very different platform for exchanging, developing, listening to people so that they can achieve more. And that's really what I'm trying to practice a lot more. And in many ways, it is very aligned as well with some leadership principles we try to develop as a company, right. uh, you know, which are really threefold. It's about clarity, driving clarity. I mean, that's so critical not leaving things in ambiguity. Uh, two is really uh, propagating a positive energy with the people so mm. that, you know, where we are, when we are with them, we are truly with them and you leave them with a positive momentum, positive excitement, positive vibes. And number three, helping them to drive success. Yeah. In the way they define success, not necessarily exactly the way you always define success yourself. So that's what I've been trying to practice for the last few years, and clearly changing a bit the way uh, I behave as a leader. And, you know, I mean, I've seen you in action. It's very much, I mean, you your actions speak louder than your words. Uh, tell us, Jean-Philippe, um, if you were to literally step back when you joined the company, you were fairly uh, young and you're still young at heart, but how? what are the lessons that you've learned as your leadership style has evolved? Any mega takeaways for millennials? Yeah, I think a, a, few, a few things I would say. Honestly, I didn't realize young enough, and that's something certainly I would share with any, uh, any millennials as well, that uh, indeed you should feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel uncomfortable, <laughs> meaning that if you don't expose yourself to new things, to new uh, adventures in a professional way, in a personal way as well, uh, it means that you're probably not pushing you hard enough in terms of fulfilling your own development. So going into the uncomfortable, taking some risk, uh, making mistakes, something, you know, I had a very hard time to, to deal with when I was younger, to be honest. I wanted to be perfect in everything I was doing. I wanted to manage every single risk <laughs> from the smallest to the biggest. 
And that's something you realize, I think, over the years, that this is not necessarily the best analogy you should apply to, to problems, to solutions, to engagement. So that's something I, I got to learn a lot. You know, um, certainly something else as well is, is the way you really want to uh, embark people as well on a joint vision, on a joint mission, whatever you want to call that, on, on the way you want collectively to have an impact on a business, on society, whatever it is that you, that is really that, that care, that you care for actually as, as a leader. There's certainly something I realized as well. Uh, how long does it take to create the conditions of, uh, of not just alignment, because alignment is almost like a passive world, but really of uh, embracing together something that gets people excited about in every day of their jobs as well. And at the end of the day, you know, it's about confronting yourself with who you are and, and, and really look at yourself in the mirror and be able or be, you know, challenging you with some of the friends and, and people you trust on the, the kind of change you want to see happening with yourself. You know, we have this very famous quote from Tolstoy, which I, uh, I like using a bit, uh, which we said, everyone thinks about changing the world, right? But no one thinks about changing himself. And I think it's so true because it's hard and it's painful. So you need to go through that pain <laughs> to reinvent yourself and, and learn through the process. Right. That's such a fascinating answer. Um, Jean-Philippe, uh, a quick follow-up on that um, is trying to be perfect or when you were trying to be perfect all the time, was it a cause of anxiety in, and if yes, how did you overcome that? Yes, it was actually driving kind of my adrenaline, right? Because every moment I wanted to prepare for the next activity, the next action and manage my environment in such a way that I could really feel confident, 100% confident before doing things. It was almost paralyzing, I would tell you. Uh, so I, I learned certainly over the years that you don't need to be perfect because actually no one is perfect by far, <laughs> never, right. ever. But you need to create the condition for your confidence. And confidence is built, by the way, on the way you do things, but also the way you get feedback in return with the people you work with, with the environment you are working through. And having this positive feedback loop into you as a young talent, as a manager, whatever, whoever you are in your career, whether you're in career is critical. And so that's certainly something I, I learned to lower the anxiety level for me and feel it okay not to be perfect anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Jean-Philippe. Um, can you talk to us a bit about cultural intelligence? Uh, Microsoft works across almost all countries around the world. You've also had a very international background. Um, tell us, what does that mean to you and how do you practice it in day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I would say culture is, is a big deal. It's not just a big world, uh, gosh, because uh, the, what I found is there's no transformation of a company, of a business, of the society. Again, whatever is your dream in terms of transformation without a cultural transformation. So it really means you need to be intentional about what is culture, <laughs> how you define it, what can you do about it as a leader or as a participant to an organization yourself. And to me, culture is really uh, the combination of a number of things. Uh, 
it is in a way the way you translate by your behaviors the value system you carry as a leader or as an organization. You know, sometimes companies come up with nice worlds in their in the halls of their headquarters. You come in and you see all those big worlds. You say, wow, that sounds really nice. But the next test is really to look into Oh, the people behaving actually, <laughs> and and do they mean those big words like I don't know as an example, you know respect, which is a big word, so actually one of our core values as a company. What do you mean by respect? I can tell you Microsoft as an example. We spend months and months having discussion within ourselves on what do we mean by respect, <laughs> and and of course you got to listen and immerse yourself with very different types of people, backgrounds, ethnics, all kind of diversity, to understand they may have a different viewpoint than you have on the value system. So I would say coming back to, uh, to uh, again, that discussion, uh, be intentional on the culture and the way you really create the right conditions for that to flourish. And in my Career, I had the opportunity to travel the world so many times uh, with cars. Today, I do that on Teams virtually every single day, many times a day. <laughs> hey, you were in UK, we saw? Yeah, I was in, traveling in <laughs> UK with my team and many great customers just a couple of days ago. It was, was wonderful, actually. Um, but I can tell you, I, I learned so much being exposed to so different cultures, all the way from Japan to, again, Brazil and many things in between on on the low-context culture, the high-context culture, I think you can refer to those terms, right, from Eric Mayer, which I think yes. you're, you're a big fan of as well, which I met yeah. with. Yeah, and I went to INSEAD, so yes. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I, I really could relate to the to a book and the, in the way I was myself coming into the discussions, creating a, a high context for creating a long-lasting relationship with a Japanese executive. Well, that takes some work. That takes some work. Yeah. That takes many cycles to learn or to create that trust in relationships. And the way you may Absolutely. go to a meeting just to bow and just to apologize for five minutes and maybe come back a few months later for another meeting where you can expand a little bit more and, and try to start building some other bonds. And so clearly that contextual awareness of different cultures, which are both societal differences, which are also people identities differences, because even people in one, any given country in the world, you know, we're going through this massive diversity inclusion, yeah. I would say, uh, questioning as a company, like any company should do globally on the planet. There's a lot of work we need to do to be aware, learn, representative of the world we live in, and make sense and connect with that broader community of talents. What I love about this answer is that you've made this sound as a practice skill. Is that something that you can learn with deliberate practice? So it, like, you know, each of us who are in different parts of the world can learn and apply it, contextualize it and see how that works. So that's, uh, that's something that I appreciate a lot. Um, Jean-Philippe, when you think of corporate impact on one hand, social impact on the other hand, um, why do you think that they are complementary? Are they complementary? You know, I, I have a deep, uh, deep, deep belief, uh, Utkarsh, that uh, companies, corporations, and you, keep, you, can, you can use different names, uh, have a, should and should have a deep sense of accountability uh, to actually five different uh, constituencies or five different assets they have. 
One, of course, you could say, and people think about that immediately, oh, the shareholders and the financial capital, you know, the the equity and the debt and, and the way they, they should, of course, perform because of the expectations people, shareholders, have in the company. Then it's about the people, the people capital, because at the end of the day, if you don't attract, develop, grow the people capital, there's nothing you can do. You've got also clearly the material capital, the physical assets you possess, you own, what you're going to do about it. You've got the social capital, which is the way you create a trusted actually connection and enablement of the community society living and understand your contribution. And the last one is a natural environment capital, which is of course environment, which is so big. So and it's interesting to see that back to the I was reading an interesting book recently, Prosperity is the name yes. of the book. And you know and, and there was a reference to the history of the formation of enterprise. You have to go all the way to uh, Roman ages, <laughs> where wow. Romans really invented the societas and also uh, invented the collegium. And, and they finally invented what they call societas publicanorum, which is a form of uh, legal entity at the time, which was really aligning together commercial activities and public goods. And when you think about public goods these days, think about the pandemic. Think about what we are all learning as citizens, as yeah. uh, professionals, in terms of what is the most precious things for all of us, health, and of course, environment coming next as well. You've got really to think much harder about the way you need to respond to those challenges as a company as well. So I'm deeply privileged because work in Microsoft today it's not just a mission statement, which I talked about before. Yeah. It's about the way we try to apply the best of our people's skills, the best of our technology, and of course, some of our capital as well, financials, to help out the world. And we are trying to do that in a couple of ways today. Skilling, reaching yeah. out and enabling 25 million people in the world to reskill, upskill, to get access to jobs, which as we know is critical in the years to come post-pandemic. And suddenly doing the same when it comes to sustainability at a broad scale. And so I'm, I'm deeply convinced, and of course, with my own work with Live for Good as a social foundation, that each one of us, whatever persona we have in our life, needs to really care for those dimensions of the public goods, or we could call the common goods around ourselves. Otherwise, we are not going to be able to respond to those huge needs of, of our planet altogether. So well said. I don't know if you remember in one of the Davos panels, uh, you told us global shapers that talent is equally distributed, but opportunities are not. And I see it every day in the work that Microsoft does, in the work Live for Good does. Uh, but now I want to know what keeps you up at night. You know, usually I, I sleep really well, Utkarsh, at night. Uh, <laughs> it's good. It, 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 it has really served me well. But but honestly, again, uh, coming back in a way to the what is kind of top of my mind, really, after I just wake up in the morning is, what, what, is, what is the positive impact I can drive today? Today. Right. In what, in what I'm about to do in my life today, in the, in the hours I've decided to spend on, at the end of the day, you make a choice. You make a choice to having a job, to staying in a job, to create your company, just like you did, which I think is a wonderful uh, you know, alignment of your own planets, I guess, with your purpose and, and what you contribute yes. to. And, and I think that's so true. So 
when I wake up, I'm trying really literally day by day, but then of course looking ahead next weeks, months, kind of year to come, what are the unique moments and, and in which moments today I'm going to learn from and I'm going to also be able to give to in a way or another in different shapes or forms. And, and, and I fulfill myself doing, doing that. And, and of course, uh, trying to be humble as well about how much can I, can I really give and can I really contribute to some, sometimes to some very big problems, of course, that many other people, constituencies will need to come up together to solve. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, Jean-Philippe, you have a busy work schedule, Microsoft, all countries, live for good. Um, how do you, do you believe in work-life balance or what's your thought process around that subject? I think more than ever, we all need to be extremely strategic about our time allocation, more than ever. I've been always a bit religious about the way I spend my time, <laughs> but I will tell you, over the past years, even more so. So at the end of the day, I think each one of us may have a different definition of that balance. We need to recognize that. We are not the same. We are not wide the same way. didn't grow up in the same ways and the same working or not working values and not values we have. So we need to make sure that the way we spend time fulfill ourselves, meaning am I actually feeling good after a meeting, after a set of activities? Did I get some positive energy coming out of that event? <laughs> or am I actually down? Am I actually depressed because I did something that I don't like <laughs> and I would, don't, I would not like to do that again? So I think we need to be intentional. In my case, I've tried to really plan against along those lines. So I'm really trying to give the best I can to my global function for Microsoft while also allocating, you know, in a very planful way, time for live for good to understand the way we can grow the impact on hundreds and thousands of social entrepreneurs in France and beyond, hopefully, and building some platform capabilities to achieve that. And also work on a couple of other boards, which I belong to, to, uh, to add the value. Why? Having, which is a beauty, at least the good news out of the pandemic. There's some good news. I know there are some other less good news. I cannot deal with my family, gosh, every night these days, which is, well, just something I cherish and I couldn't do for so many years because I, I was just traveling the world. So yeah. that is the balance I found, which, which I, I kind of like, actually. And mm -hmm. I think each one of us needs just to look at that the way we want to, to dedicate our time to basically what we want where we want to make a difference. So very well put, Jean-Philippe. Uh, uh, Network Capital's mission is to democratize inspiration. We are, of course, building out of Microsoft. I'm a proud alum. Um, I want to know who've been your mentors and uh, what do you think constitutes a good mentor-mentee relationship? You know, I, I'm not sure I'd, at any time a real mentor per se, but a number of people that I suddenly learn a lot from. I mean, starting with my dad, to be honest, when I was younger and my, when my dad was still alive. Uh, you know, I, I, I was suddenly, uh, I, I could learn a lot from my dad in terms of his, uh, in terms of his work ethics, in terms of the way he had some very strong values, again, and integrity, on the way uh, you want as well to be balanced between his work, his family, but also the community needs as well. And so that has served me well. Then in my, in my professional environment, I suddenly looked up to some people around myself who learned and taught me 
basically ought to be customer obsessed for many years. You know, we've been using it as well recently, but I would say I've learned in the early days uh, from one of our leaders who personally left us, you know, late Michel Lacombe, who was a wonderful manager of Microsoft France many years back in EMEA. And he was so wonderful in smiling with customers, in really, in really uh, creating that trusty relationship and, and listening and helping them out. Um, so, yes, you know, there's, a, again, some more. I think from a mentorship uh, standpoint now, or coaching, I'm a strong believer in that. And so I'm really uh, allocating my time as well, uh, not just within Microsoft. I actually do that with uh, social entrepreneurs. I've got a cohort of entrepreneurs. I'm usually coaching uh, over the weekends, I must admit, uh, <laughs> to enable, to help them so that they can ask themselves the big questions about the way they want to change the world for a better world. And so that, to me, the value of that, in a way, of value of reverse coaching, in a way, because I learn from them a ton because they come up with a clearly a new view of the world, <laughs> of societal issues, technology as well, innovation, basically with very frugal innovation, with very little money, if not at all. That changed me the perspective, of course, with Microsoft the other day and during the weekends finding out, oh, actually, you can do a lot with very little <laughs> and still have a big impact, which to me is a good uh, a good reassurance of the quality you need to find in those mentorships or or coaching relationships you want to create. Yeah, and I see that you're doing this uh, work-life uh, energy and mission harmony. I mean, we talked about work-life balance, but I think that's what you're uh, trying to do. Um, now is the time for the googly round, Jean-Philippe. Tell us one thing that you believe in that others often disagree with. Uh, um, you know, I think in a way that uh, that, re that search for uh, truly uh, unleashing the value of uh, that societal innovation in uh, almost everything we do is something I would say that many people can uh, kind of like, of course, but it would tell me, JP, no, I mean, you're pushing too, too much the envelope. It doesn't make sense here. Shouldn't spend too much time on that. <laughs> or, you know, uh, that's another discussion, separate discussion. So in a way, coming back to, the, uh, to some of the words you just used, finding harmony in the way <laughs> I'm trying to reconcile and align the purpose, the purpose that people have, that organizations have in what they want to achieve and the way we can co-develop that value, not just from a technology standpoint, not just from an economic standpoint, of course, which makes sense financially, but also from a social, societal standpoint, is certainly something that is not necessarily, uh, you know, that is not certainly uh, agreed by everyone, I know for sure. But, but I'm an optimistic, uh, Utkar, so I believe that's something I can keep working on, probably to help achieving some of that together. Yeah, I, I wrote about exactly this topic of being a constructive contrarian in my uh, last Harvard Business Review piece. I'm going to quote that as an additional example. Thank you. I, I personally resonated a lot with what you just said. Um, last question, Jean-Philippe. Uh, what advice you wish somebody gave you at 18 and 25? This is the demographic, which is <laughs> a very heavily represented on network capital. So we would love your parting advice on this. 
Yeah, great, great question. I think, you know, I think at 18 is probably uh, someone who would ask me, would I ask, what else you need to keep learning, Jean-Philippe JP? What else you need to keep learning? Because, you know, I was clearly uh, eager to join a business school, to do things. Yeah, but I, but I had too much of a restricted view of the learning path. <laughs> it was too much like an academic kind of career step, graduate, and then, okay, then I'm going to join the professional world. Uh, well, I wish I had someone who pushed me saying, well, Maybe you need to learn more of this and that and that and not just the traditional path. That's one. I think at 25, because you cannot uh, waste more years, indeed, you're right. <laughs> I would start really pushing uh, to make sure that, you know, each one of you, each one of us at 25, I would say, would really acknowledge at the best they can what are their true passions, what are their true strengths, and this is based on the feedback. So it's also called self-awareness that you be with others and make sure you really bring the best of your passion, of your strengths. We get so much positive energy when you do things, when you are really in the flow of doing things you know, in, in a super way and then really use that as a platform to truly pick the few things you want to do in your life, at least in the coming years. You should not do a plan for the next 10 years is crazy these days, you know, which is something for the old generation did a Too lot of. Changes, yes. It's crazy. It is crazy. What is it you're going to do to make a difference in the next one, two, three years and where your passion, your strengths can really make it happen because this is what's going to drive you to the next step. Jean-Philippe, thank you very much. This was such an inspiring conversation and I cannot share, wait to share it with the 100,000 strong network capital community. We really appreciate your time, your energy, and inspiration. We really appreciate uh, your insights. Thanks so much for doing this. Network Capital is all about democratizing mentorship, and it's all because of leaders like you. Thank you. Well, Kash, thank you so much for having me.